Well, uh, let's now, um, if you have your Bible open at that place passage you were at just now, uh, the text we're going to be thinking about this evening is verse 58, uh, and it is um, it's as follows. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, <clears throat> because you know that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. Well, let's come to God and pray now. Lord God, we just want to pray that you will help us uh, to uh, hear what you're saying to us in your word now. Please would you help me to be able to teach your word in the power of the Holy Spirit and please would you help us all to receive your word and please help us to apply it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, I've been around uh, long enough as a Christian and as a pastor to uh, have seen quite a few uh, believers uh, give up uh, serving Christ. I've seen those who've been involved in outreach uh, giving up on outreach. I've seen um, uh, pastors uh, give up being pastors. I've seen uh, or heard of a mother who gave up being a mother. She just one day just walked out of the house and just left her, her children uh, with her husband uh, to look up, to look after. I've heard of Christians giving up serving Christ and going back into the world. What has been the common denominator? In these stories, well, in many of them, the common denominator has been discouragement. They thought, well, what's the point in carrying on? What am I getting from my service of Christ? What, what benefits am I, what am I reaping? Um, nobody seems to be being converted. Uh, there's no benefit in my own personal life. And so people have uh, sadly, in some cases, uh, stopped serving Christ or even stopped even professing to be Christians at all. Well, this verse is a great antidote to discouragement. Uh, let me read it again. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. Now, the context is that uh, certain people were saying that there is no resurrection of the dead. By which they meant that 
once you, as, as people today say, once you're dead, you're dead. Whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, this life is all there is. And then once you die, you cease to exist, and that's the end of it. You, there's no more. We, we don't come back again with new bodies. Uh, we don't even go to heaven, as it seems that these people were teaching. Basically, you've only got this life, and then that once, you, once you've had this life, uh, as it were, you're snuffed out, and that's the end of, of, um, of your life. And Paul has spent this, this whole chapter arguing from different points of view that most definitely there is going to be a resurrection of the dead. Uh, that we who believe in Christ, our bodies will be raised from the dead and we shall have glorious new bodies which will be free from suffering and pain and uh, at the resurrection we will be rewarded for our service of Christ. And just to give you, just to, we're not going to go through the whole chapter because in detail because that would take probably several sermons. But let me just give you a very quick sketch, a very quick overview of what the Apostle has been saying in this chapter. So first of all in verses 1 to 11, he argues that there must be a resurrection from the dead because... Christ was raised from the dead. And he talks about the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus and about how he appeared to, um, to, <coughs> to different ones of the, of the apostles and then, uh, and then um, to 500 at one time and then, uh, and then to all the 12 and then uh, to Paul himself. And then in verses <coughs> 12 through to 34... He argues that if you say that there is no resurrection from the dead, then really you're saying you've got no Christianity. Without the resurrection of Jesus from the without our resurrection, if we're not going to be raised from the dead, then you might as well pack up your bags and say there's no Christianity. Uh, he says if there's no resurrection from the dead, well then you're saying that Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. And you're saying that... that uh, Preaching is in vain and faith is in vain, verse, verse 14. You're saying that the apostles are false because they've testified that Christ has been raised from the dead. Um, then uh, if, if the dead are not raised, then Christ hasn't been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then, then we're still dead in our sins. We, there's no salvation. Um, if, Christ, if, 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 we've not, if there's no resurrection, then then we've got no hope for this life because uh, what, what point is there for suffering uh, uh, in, in this world? Uh, what's the point in, in, in serving Christ if, 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 um, if there's no resurrection from the dead? What's the point in, 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 in seeking, in, in um, going through hardship? Uh, so um, he says that position to take is, is completely ridiculous and in fact the reality is verses 20 to 28 that, that Jesus has indeed been raised from the dead and if Christ has been raised from the dead then we also will be raised well then in verses 35 to 
49 in this chapter, um, he deals with an objection that somebody might say, well, look, once this body has died, this physical body has died, then how can we have a body? Because the physical body has died, it's been dispersed, the atoms have died, have, have gone, gone all their different ways and so on. And Paul explains that the resurrection body is going to be a spiritual body. It's not a physical body like what we've known. It's a spiritual body. It's of a different order from the, 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 the bodies that we've known in this earth. It's, whereas the, the, the bodies we've known in this life are earthly bodies, physical bodies, natural bodies. The bodies that we will have at the resurrection are spiritual bodies, supernatural bodies. The body that we, that we bore in this life is after the Adam, image of Adam. The body that we will have at the resurrection is after the image of Christ. And then he, he deals with what about the issue of those who are alive when Jesus comes? What's going to happen to them? And the answer is, as he explains in verses 50 to 56, that uh, those who are alive when Jesus comes, they will have an instantaneous transformation to having resurrection bodies. They won't actually have to go through death, but in a moment, their bodies will be instantaneously changed to resurrection bodies, and then death will be swallowed up forever. And then that leads him to this verse, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So um, we'll look as we consider this verse, we'll do so under two headings. First of all, what we should do. And secondly, why we should do it. So first of all, what we should do? Well, what we should do is that we should, three things, we should, we should um, uh, be steadfast, we should be immovable, and we should be always abounding in the work of of the Lord. So let's think about these things. First of all, be steadfast. Be steadfast. We should, or as the NIV puts it, we should stand firm. We should be steadfast. We should stand firm. We should not allow ourselves to be moved. Well, the, um, the context here, of course, is in, in terms of the doctrine of the resurrection. The, the believers in Corinth were starting to waver as regards this doctrine of the resurrection from the dead. And the apostle is saying, no, be steadfast. Continue to believe what you believe. Now, we might not be under the same pressure on this doctrine, perhaps at the moment, though perhaps we are it's easy for us to live as if there was no resurrection, but I'm not sure that, that the doctrine of the resurrection is under attack 
in our present day, but there are lots of doctrines that are under attack, aren't there? Uh, the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture is under attack. The doctrine of creation is under attack. The doctrine of the righteousness of God. Many people are saying, oh, God is not good. God is not holy and, and, and righteous. Uh, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God is under attack. People say, oh, well, God isn't in control of things. God doesn't know the future, people say. The, the doctrine of the holiness of God's law is under attack, particularly in the whole area of sexual ethics. People are saying that it's okay for a man and a woman to cohabit when they're not married. It's okay for two people of the same gender to, to have um, sex together. It's okay for a person to change his gender. The doctrine of hell is under attack. The doctrine of justification by faith alone. These things are all under attack. And we need to be steadfast, remembering that uh, the, 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 the Jesus is coming again, remembering that uh, we will be rewarded if we continue to serve him as we should. We must be steadfast. And we need to be steadfast also in our battle against Satan. Um, Ed, recent, in recent weeks, Ed was reminded, we did a series from Ephesians 6 about how uh, we need to stand fast against all the assaults of the evil one. The devil will try to get us down. He'll try to move us from our faith, try to move us from the hope we've got. And we need to stand fast. We need to be steadfast. Um, Peter talks also about how our enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking those uh, whom he may devour. And we need to, we're told to resist him, standing firm in our faith, knowing that, that our brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of trial. So we need to be steadfast. We need to be uh, strong. And then also, Paul says, secondly, we need to be immovable. Immovable. We need to set our course and keep on going along that course. There will be temptations to deflect one way or the other, but we, we, we need to say, okay, this is the way we need to go, and that's what we're going to do. Come rain, come shine. Come success, come difficulty, we will do, we will live and act and set ourselves according to the pattern that God has revealed. We'll be unmovable. Now this applies to church life, doesn't it? There are certain things that God has revealed that should be part of church life. And we'll 
often be under pressure to try to change these things, to try to tinker with these things. Things like biblical worship being at the centre of the church's life. Things like uh, teaching the word of God. Things like prayer. Love. Evangelism. Holiness. These are the basic building blocks of, of, of church life and, 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 and the service of God. It's very, very easy when you think, it's very easy to think, oh, it's not working. We'd better do something else. Let's try a bit of social work. Let's try to jazz up the worship with, with some, some disco lights and some uh, big loud band and, 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 and some vocalists. Let's, let's, let's not bother with, let, let's, not, let's change the message of, of evangelism and let's sort of talk about how God, God loves everybody and he's not going to judge any, everybody. No, be immovable. Keep on with the course that you've learned from Scripture. And it's the same with our, with our personal lives, isn't it? Be immovable. Keep on with those fundamentals of the Christian life. Reading the Bible. Personal prayer. Uh, Meeting with other believers. Mastering sin and temptation. Uh, being involved in personal witness and outreach. Living a life of love. With, uh, being loving and kind to your family and to your friends and to your neighbours. Living an honest and upright and self-controlled life. These are the fundamentals of, of, of Christian living. Don't allow yourself to be deflected from these things. And then the third thing he says is always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Abound in your service of God. Now, uh, what's he talking about here? Your, your work in the work of the Lord. Well, obviously, it includes um, our spiritual work. We should abound in our worship. We should abound in personal prayer and Bible reading. We should abound in evangelism. We should abound in the love that we show to other believers. If you like spiritual work, of course, we should abound in these things. But it's not just um, our spiritual work. It is all that we do for the glory and honour of the Lord. Abound in, because it, it talks to, about your labour in the Lord. In the Lord your labour is not in vain. So it's not just talking about spiritual work. But what you're doing as, for example, an employee. Your work as an employee, when you do the extra mile, 
You make an effort to be polite to the clients that you're dealing with at work who, quite frankly, are very difficult sometimes. When you do that, because you're doing it for the Lord's sake, or you, you make a special effort to be... Uh, to um, to uh, make sure that you, you 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 do your work conscientiously because you're a Christian, or perhaps in terms of your maybe you your 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 main work is to look after your children. And as you do that, you, you do it to, to the Lord, for the Lord's sake. With an eye to, to seeing what He, what would glorify and honor Him. You, for the Lord's sake, you show that love to your children and you, 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 you care for them and provide for them. Or it might be that you wash up for the Lord's sake. To glorify God. Maybe you tidy up your bedroom. Uh, for the Lord's sake. Indeed the whole of our life. Whatever it is we, we, we can and we should do. For the Lord's sake. Maybe you're married. And you, you love your marriage partner. For the sake of the Lord. And so we see then that. That. Um, uh, we, we, we are encouraged to do these things, to be steadfast, to be immovable, and to be always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, he says, he then gives the reason why we should do these things, why we should be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. He says, knowing... That in the Lord your labour is not in vain. We do these things because in the Lord our labour is not in vain. And this is where the resurrection comes in. Because if you look for your reward in this life. You're going to struggle sometimes to see benefit from what you're doing. And, and this comes out in the passage. If you, if you look at back at verse 19, he says, If in Christ we hope in this life only, we are to be, of all people, the most pitied. There isn't, quite frankly, there isn't sometimes much of a reward in this life for our service of the Lord. Sometimes, if anything, it, it seems like it's the opposite. Again, if you look at verse 30, uh, if, if there's no resurrection, Paul says, why are we in danger every hour? What, what, what's, the, what's to be gained? Verse 32, what do I gain if, humanly speaking, humanly speaking, I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus? If they do not raise, let us eat, drink, and, and drink, for tomorrow we die. We might as well just live a life of pleasure if there's no resurrection. But the resurrection changes all of that. The resurrection, the fact that Jesus is going to come again, 
and the fact that uh, that 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 he is that that when he comes, he's going to reward those who've served him. That is what makes all the difference. Um, and. Uh, That the wonderful truth is that Jesus is going to come again, and as the scripture makes very, very plain, when he comes, he will reward those who have served him. Let me just take you back to Matthew's Gospel. We've got a few examples there in Matthew's Gospel. Um, Matthew chapter 6. Um, uh, verse 1 Jesus says beware of practicing your righteousness before other people before men in order to be seen by them for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven thus when you give to the needy sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets that they may be praised by others I truly I say to you they have received their reward but when you give to the needy do not let your right left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees what is he sees in secret will reward you when's that reward going to happen I think it's clear from scripture that reward is going to happen at the resurrection when Jesus comes again, then those who have served him will re be rewarded. Again, look down at um, uh, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Or again, verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, their fasting may be, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He's saying, don't let anybody know what you're doing. Don't let anybody see your gifts to the poor. Don't let anybody else know about your, your personal prayer life. If you're fasting, don't let anybody know that you're fasting, and then your Father will reward you about these things. Now, see, here's this wonderful thing. God sees what you're doing in secret. Nobody else might know what you do in secret. You know, you're changing that, your baby's nappy. You show patience to your child when your child is crying in the middle of the night. And you've, had, you've been disturbed in your sleep yet again. You are dealing with that customer who is so difficult and so awkward 
once again that customer has been trying towards you. Maybe a few colleagues know, but your church people, your church friends, they don't know. They don't know what you're handling. But the Lord does. And he sees the way that you're handling that. He sees the patience you're seeking to put in for his sake. And he'll reward you. Maybe uh, you've got a headache. And you're really tempted to feel sorry for yourself. Because you've got this headache, you feel really tired, you feel really exhausted, you've worked so hard for the Lord, and you, you feel so worn out. Nobody else knows about that, but you know about it, and the Lord knows about it. And he sees what you're doing. He sees the way that you are praying for different people, in private, quietly. Nobody else knows, but he sees it. And he will reward you at the resurrection. And then also um, in this same chapter, chapter 6, um, uh, Jesus says, verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also. What's that talking about? Well, it's saying, it's, it's talking about how when we give, we're, we're get, there's, going, there's treasure in heaven. We're going to be rewarded in some way that we don't quite understand, but we give uh, for the Lord's sake uh, to the poor and to other believers and our heavenly bank account, as it were, is built up. And there will be um, there will be treasure in heaven. And um, then also, if we go on to chapter uh, chapter ten, um, and uh, verse forty, uh, Jesus says, uh, "Whoever receives you." receives me and whoever receives me receives him who sent me the one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward and one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward and whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple truly I say to you he will by no means lose his reward. Now again I ask that question. When will that reward be experienced? Answer, at the resurrection. You gave a cup of cold water to this little child because he or she would belong to Christ. That will be rewarded. It was noted. It will be rewarded at the resurrection. So the point is that if there's no resurrection, there's no rewards. But if there's the resurrection, there is a reward. And therefore it is worth serving Christ. Or well, we we'll go on in Matthew's Gospel to the parable of the talents. 
What have you got in the parable of the talents? You've got, you've got the, the, the one who had five talents. He made five more talents. What happened? Well, he's rewarded. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Uh, you've been faithful over a little. You'll be set over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The one who had two talents and made two more talents... Again, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And so we see then that this, this, the truth of the resurrection should be a very, very invigorating truth for us. Christ is going to come again. And if we have served him well as believers, we will be rewarded. And uh, this is what motivated the uh, believers in the Old Testament, as, as, as the writer of the Hebrews says in, in, um, in chapter 11. What was it that... that that enabled the and motivated the the uh, the servants of God uh, to continue serving God. They didn't um, they didn't ha- receive what they were looking for, but they were looking to God for the reward that He would give in the end. Uh, Verse 6 of Hebrews 11. Without faith it is impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And that's what um, motivated them. Look at Abraham, verse verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was received, that he would, was to receive his inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder was God. He was looking forward. He was looking forward to that day when he would be rewarded. Uh, Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of the land from which they'd gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly country. They're looking forward to their heavenly reward. Verse 24, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ of greater worth than all the treasures of Egypt for he was looking forward to the 
reward. He believed in the resurrection. And he's looking forward to the reward that would be his. Uh, verse 39. Uh, all these, though commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had promised something better for us, that apart from us they should be made perfect. They, didn't, they hadn't received yet, but they were looking forward to the reward that would be theirs. So, let us remember and believe the resurrection. And believing that resurrection... Let us, uh, s- let us um, serve God diligently and wholeheartedly, looking forward to that reward which will be ours. So let's read that verse again, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.